Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Here we go. This is from Trey Spark. How should we preach and encourage people who are facing some big problems such as unemployment, health issues, and other financial problems without preaching a false gospel? All right, great question. How can we encourage the downtrodden, especially, it sounds like here, health is involved, but especially those who are experiencing financial difficulties and problems without preaching a false gospel? So let, let me answer this question uh, because it's so broad and I want to get to as many questions as possible. I'm just going to answer uh, this question, Trey, uh, in regards to your question um, about financial dif- difficulties. All right. So th- uh, a lot of this, some of this may apply, but most of it would not apply um, to the example that you provided to somebody who has um, health issues. Okay. So, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, I'm primarily going to deal with um, financial uh, problems and challenges. Okay. So I would start my argument like this. Okay. So Jesus and the disciples, uh, they see a man born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus, whose sin caused this man to be born blind, his or his parents? Jesus says, neither, uh, but he was born blind under God's sovereignty. This was God's will. God ordained that he be born blind. As God said to Moses, uh, who is it that makes man mute or deaf or blind? Not just that God allows it, right? If disaster comes to the city, has not the Lord caused it? God is, he is sovereign over sickness and health. He's sovereign over blessing and cursing, all these things. God is ultimately sovereign. So Jesus says, um, God ordained this. This wasn't uh, the sin of his parents. It wasn't the sin of the man himself, but rather this is something that God ordained so that God might be glorified. And then Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. Now that said, If the disciples had reworded the question and said, did sin make this man born blind? Jesus would have answered that question by saying, yes. They didn't ask that question. They asked, is it, which sin was it? Was it the sin of the man himself, the blind man himself, his own sin, or was it the sin of his parents? Because that was the phrasing of the question. Jesus says, neither. But notice what Jesus does not say is he does not say that sickness is not caused by sin at all. He's just simply saying this particular sickness is not caused by this man's particular sin or this man's parents' particular sin. But remember, brothers and sisters, we live in a world plagued by sickness because sin entered the world. This is the curse, the effects of sin. So anyone who is sick, we can say it is because of sin, not necessarily that individual's sin, Now, there are times that somebody could be sick because of their own foolish choices, right? But all sickness tracks back, if not a one-to-one ratio, this sickness to this person who is sick, their sin. It doesn't always work like that, but all sickness can be tracked back to sin in general. And so it is with poverty. So it is with poverty. We need to understand Christian economics. 
We need to understand the father and the father's world and the father's rules for living in his world, the way that he constructed things, the patterns that he has set in motions. Uh, God is not, um, is not a man that he should lie. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, that there are spiritual implications, certainly, but also practical and tangible implications for that principle of sowing and reaping as well. Okay, so all that being said, um, poverty is simply a lack of material goods. Poverty is the lack of wealth. That's what poverty is. It's the, the lack of wealth. And the reason why we have a lack where people are actually impoverished, and that's a subjective line, um, and I don't have time to define exactly what, what poverty is and whether the poverty threshold set um, by any given culture, any given nation is accurate and all those things. But, but when we think of real poverty, real poverty, um, real poverty is a result of the fall. It is a result of sin. Just as sickness, every sickness can be tracked back, not necessarily to an individual sin of an individual person, but sickness in general is caused by sin in general, okay? So too, poverty in general is caused by sin in general. If, if sin had never entered the world, what I'm saying is that if sin had never entered the world, no one would be poor. Now that said, if sin had never entered the world, we wouldn't have an egalitarian, socialistic, Marxist world. There would still be disparities, but everyone would have plenty. Do you see? So some people would still be richer than others, but everyone would have plenty. And the same way that, that if we go back to health, some people would be able to run faster than others if sin never entered the world, but everyone would be healthy. So everybody would be reasonably healthy if sin didn't enter the world because sickness is part of the curse of sin. Likewise, poverty is a part of the curse of sin. What we don't want to do as Christians is we don't want to say that poverty is God's design. God is sovereign over all things, um, but it is not God's original design. God has created the world in such a way um, that it's not a zero-sum game, right? So when we think of Christian economics, um, Christians believe the pie can grow. We don't believe that if, if I get a slice of the pie, that's one less pie slice um, to be shared amongst everyone else. That's how liberals think, or to put it more plainly, uh, that's how God-hating pagans think. God-hating pagans, because they hate God, uh, they, they don't believe in God, but, but really, according to Romans chapter 1, they know the truth and they suppress it in deeds of unrighteousness. So there is a sense in which they do believe in God, but they hate God. It's not just disbelief in God, it's that they're at enmity with God. That's Romans chapter 8, right? The mind of the sinful man is not, not just indifferent or not just disbelief, but hostile towards God. It does not submit to his law, nor can it. So for the secular pagan, the liberal, um, that person, that person believes not, not just they disbelieve in God, but they believe that God exists and that God is cruel, that God is cruel. This is why they fight against, um, uh, over what they would deem as, you know, uh, alleged overpopulation right? Because they view people rather than image bearers of the living God, um, who are lowercase c creators. God alone is the capital C creator who creates ex nihilo. He can create out of nothing, but we made in his image are able to also take the resources God has given us and create more things, right? So you think of 63 million children murdered in their mother's womb, um, over the last 49 years because of Roe. Okay. Um, now a God hating pagan, uh, somebody who is pro-abortion, pro-murder, 
Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's going to say, well, thank goodness we protected the rights of mothers um, and and we also uh, saved ourselves uh, from having 63 million extra mouths to feed. The Christian would say, um, out of those 63 million babies murdered in their mother's wombs, um, how many of them would have been farmers? How many of them would have been engineers? How many of them would have been inventors? How many of them um, possibly could have come up for a cure for cancer? How many of them would have uh, figured out uh, certain innovations to produce uh, food at, at, a, at a higher level? Right? Do we view people as leeches and burdens, or do we view them as, as made in the image of God, lowercase c, creators? See, the Reformed doctrine of man, right? not just theology, but working from our theology, our view of God, to our anthropology, our view of man, the Reformed doctrine of man is this. On the outside, he's made in the image of God. He is not a leech, but, but he is actually not a burden, but a contributor. Right? That's why Christians love children or they should, and Reformed Christians especially love children. We do not see them as burdens, but rather as blessings. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. So we see children and then just people in general um, as contributors, lowercase c, creators, as a blessing, not a burden, not a leech, not mere mouths to feed. Why? Because the Reformed anthropology is this, on the outside, made in the image of God, able to create suspension bridges, cure cancer, um, create wealth, all these different things. That's what man is, on the outside. On the inside, totally depraved, right? Able to do wondrous things in terms of their outward deeds, actions, words, speech, but on the inside, in terms of their heart and their position towards God and their motives, apart from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being born again and receiving a new heart by the work, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, the heart of stone replaced with, with a heart of flesh that is malleable and receptive to the things of God, that loves God, desires God, now seeks for God. Apart from that, regeneration, salvation, the inward the inward side of man is totally depraved at enmity, not just indifferent, not just disbelieving, not neutral, but hostile towards God and the things of God. But that's the reformed view of man, anthropology, inwardly speaking. We need also as Christians to think about man, anthropology, what the Bible says about anthropology, outwardly speaking. Man on the inside, totally depraved. Man on the outside, made in the image of God. Believers and unbelievers alike, and due to God's common grace, because he gives rain on both the wicked and the righteous, due to God's common grace, even unbelievers outwardly, while inwardly being at enmity with God, outwardly can do incredible things. They are lowercase c creators. 63 million babies, had they lived, would have lent towards a better world with more resources, not less. That's the Christian view. Okay. Now, all that being said, if sin had never entered the world, there would be no poverty, not egalitarian Marxist socialist um, utopia, dystopia, um, but, but there would be no poverty. There would still be disparities. Some people would be richer than others, more successful than others, smarter than others, faster than others, healthier than others, stronger than others, um, but there would be no general sickness and there would be no general poverty. Okay. Now, all that being said, the Bible teaches plainly, plainly, um, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There are spiritual implications. There are practical implications for this sowing and reaping principle as well. Uh, the Bible talks about economics in terms of um, d- diversification um, when it comes to investments, right? A man who cast his bread seven times upon the water will receive a return, 
right? So, so we don't just put all of our resources um, in, in GameStop you know, uh, to the moon, you know, like let's, let's spread it out. We can take some risks, but let's also be wise and diversify. The Bible speaks to economics and it doesn't just, the Bible doesn't just speak about eternal and spiritual principles. We are not radical 2k, you know, two kingdom pietists. We, we believe that the Bible, um, actually talks about real life and that the Bible is sufficient for life and godliness. So the Bible is sufficient, um, for how to be saved, and how to be sanctified. Uh, but the Bible is not only sufficient for salvation. The Bible is also sufficient for life and godliness. And life is a big, big banner, right? That's a that's a, a large, broad banner that, that includes uh, civil ethics. It, it includes um, parenting. It includes um, arts. It includes medicine. It includes uh, science and media. And it includes markets and economies. And so, um, from the principles of the Bible and, and working from theology to anthropology, we've al- already covered that, um, even though sin has entered the world in general. Now, hear me. This is not a, a, a perfect 100% guaranteed promise. This is a general principle. Not a guaranteed promise, but a general principle, which means more likely than not, if we do these things, to honor God, the, the, there will be a certain result. But again, not a 100% promise, but a general principle. Here it is. Obedience brings blessing. That's the prosperity gospel. Nope. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. And John Piper's pietistic poverty gospel overreaction to the prosperity gospel has not helped evangelical Christians. I'll say that again. John Piper's overreaction to the prosperity gospel, although with good intentions and much of it being true, has not ultimately helped Christians. It has embarked um, on on a, a pietistic quest where it's all heavenly bound, no earthly good. Everything is spiritualized, but nothing is tangible. And, and it has been an overreaction, not only with pietism and a radical kind of two kingdom where it's secular uh, or, or sacred and common, rather than the two kingdoms being what the Bible teaches, I believe, light and dark, not sacred and common, but light and and dark, this misunderstanding of sphere sovereignty, misunderstanding of two kingdoms, misunderstanding of Christ and his current rulership as king now, ruling not just with authority in heaven, but also on earth, that Christ has authority on earth and understanding the sufficiency of scripture applying to all of life and godliness. Um, I think that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. So your question and the fact that you you bring into play the prosperity gospel is incredibly insightful, and I'm glad that you did that. You recognize, wait a second, there's a problem here. Um, we do not want to embrace the, the prosperity gospel because it is, in fact, a heresy uh, that is um, a damning heresy. There are millions of people who think they're going to heaven who will be in hell, apart from repentance, because of people like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers, the list goes on and on and on. Joel Osteen, right? You've got prosperity gospel light. You've got prosperity gospel heavy. Um, but there are many prosperity gospel preachers, aka false prophets, false teachers. And if we believe these things to the point of disbelieving the gospel, 
You can have bad theology to a point, but if we embrace heresy to the point of believing that over and against the gospel, and one of these beliefs will eventually win out. That's just the way that the heart works with idols. Idols are pushed out by true gospel belief, or the idol wins, and the gospel is pressed out, which doesn't cause us to lose our salvation, but simply proves that we never had salvation to begin with. So all these things are serious. It sends people to hell. However, however, the biblical principle, not 100% guarantee, that would be prosperity gospel, but general principle of sowing and reaping, diversification, hard work being a virtue that lends towards certain fruits and results, obedience brings blessing, and not just eternal and spiritual, but also temporal and tangible. These are biblical principles that we cannot rid ourselves from. We can't just throw these away. Now, because we live in a sin-entrenched world, there are plenty of cases where somebody can be truly obedient and hardworking, have integrity in their business practices, have some measure of creativity and innovation, and still be poor. I'm thinking of North Korea. Context matters, is what I'm saying. But for those of you who are listening, who live in my nation, the United States of America, I'm going to say this. And I'm going to be careful. I won't be that careful. Uh, I'm going to be truthful. Uh, the vast majority of people in America who are poor are sinful. They're lazy is what I'm saying. There are exceptions, right? Somebody's a quadriplegic. They got hit by a truck. I, I understand, right? That's why I'm the, the health thing. I'm kind of just dealing with the financial aspect. But most people barring some kind of of, of problem with their health. Most people in a first world nation with some measure of freedom where you can start a business and, and you can start a for-profit company and you can take profits and you can hire employees and you can manufacture services and goods and those kinds of things. Um, if you're living in that context and you are poor, it's probably your fault. It's probably your fault. Definitely rooted in sin in general, Poverty is because of sin in general. But the question is, can we link particular in, impoverished people to, to a, a direct correlation to it being their specific sin? This person's sin is making that same person poor. And biblically speaking, we can. We can. Absolutely. Um, now, again, because sin has entered the world, um, that doesn't always work. It's not a 100% guarantee. So it's not just, if I work hard, I'll be rich. But in general, in general, if you obey the law of God over the course of a lifetime, doesn't happen overnight, but, but faithfulness, obedience, long obedience in one direction, as it's been said before, long obedience in one direction usually brings about a certain degree of success. That is a general, true principle. It is. And so one of the ways that churches and preaching and pastors can help people who have financial problems is, is not just by giving them money, but by giving them counsel. And in the, the overarching philosophy of preaching from the pulpit of that local church, it needs to be an all of Christ for all of life pulpit, a Kyperian pulpit, a post-millennial pulpit. A pulpit that doesn't just preach the same gospel-centered message every single day. Here's the law of God. We're only using the law of God in its first use to reveal that you're a sinner in need of salvation. And here's Christ. That's true. 
Yes and amen. But then let's go back to the law of God in its third use, that it's not just a mirror that reveals to me, it reflects my sinfulness and therefore my need for Christ, but in the third use of the law, it functions as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The law is a guide. It doesn't guide me uh, to salvation. No man will be saved by works as done unto the law, but the law does guide me from salvation, uh, from salvation to further sanctification and success in every realm of life, not as a prosperity gospel um, guarantee, but as a general principle. So I'll end with this. Um, the analogy that I often use with my church is I say, um, you know, an illustration of, of prosperity gospel peddling would be if I taught my kids, uh, when you turn 18 years old of legal age, if you go down to the nearest corner store every single day of the week and you buy one lottery ticket and you play the same numbers, well, if you do that and you do it diligently, you do it faithfully, eventually you will win the lottery and be rich. That would be the equivalent of the prosperity gospel. Christians, we, we, the prosperity gospel, notice, the prosperity gospel is not hard work reaps rewards. That's not the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is wishful thinking will actually materialize. You, you can actually speak things into existence that aren't there, not by creating them, not by working for them, but simply by wishing them that, that, that they would be wishing them into existence. The prosperity gospel is wishful thinking. The prosperity gospel is instead of faith in Christ, it's faith in our faith. The prosperity gospel is the equivalent of, of telling people to buy a lottery ticket and they'll hit the jackpot. The prosperity gospel is, is telling people um, that what they really need to do is just have the right incantation, right? To, to, to have the right inflection and pronunciation in casting some Harry Potter spell for wealth and riches. That's the prosperity gospel. That's, that's a heresy. What I'm advocating for is not the prosperity gospel. What I'm saying is that God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows and that long obedience in one direction with Christian ethics in line with the law of God ordinarily in, in a context, earthly context that has some measure of justice and freedom and wealth to begin with, like a first world nation, that these things generally produce success. And I don't think that that message is being preached from a lot of pulpits. And I think that's one of the reasons why people in the church struggle with poverty. Because, because they, we've had an overreaction from the gospel coalition types um, to the prosperity gospel to where people just think that, that life and wealth and success and all these different things are arbitrary. They're not. All right, all right, all right. Stop twisting my arm. I know you want to hear the inside scoop. Here it is. The glorious vision of Right Response Ministries for the first half of next year, 2023. We have not one, not two, but three massive endeavors that we will accomplish by the grace of of God. The first you already know about. It's our Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference, May 5th, 6th, and 7th, with James White, Joe Boot, Gary DeMar, Dale Partridge, and yours truly, Pastor Joel Webbin. This is selling out incredibly fast. By the time this commercial airs, you may not even be able to get a ticket. I, I, I really don't know. So don't waste another moment. Go to rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com to join us for the Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference next year. Now, this is where you come in. We need your help. Our next two endeavors are number one, a documentary style film 
And number two, a brand new studio. Both of these things are seeking to accomplish one primary goal, which is excellent, high-quality, glorious Christian media. We are tired of, of, as Christians, doing things poorly. We've done our best with what we have, but by God's grace, we want to do even better. This is not going to be just another video. This is not going to be a sermon or an interview or a podcast, but we're going to make a documentary-style film, and we're going to be hiring Nathan Anderson, the director of On Earth As It Is In Heaven, a very, very successful post-millennialism documentary that's on Amazon and YouTube, came out a couple years ago. He's going to be flying in from Chile to help us direct this film. And our documentary is going to be on postmillennialism and theonomy, why it's biblically valid, why it's absolutely necessary, and why, by the grace of God, theonomy and postmillennialism are currently on the rise. So we're going to make this film, and we need your support. And not just this film, but we're going to make all of our videos and podcasting and everything we do here at Right Response Ministries better. We want to achieve the highest level of quality and Christian excellence that we possibly can. That's where the new studio comes in. This new film, our, our date that we're shooting for is that it would be complete and publicly available in May or June of 2023, next year. The studio, our goal is that it would be completely done in its construction and the equipment and the setup and the stage and everything by January, February of 2023 next year. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. And for those of you who are willing to do so, we need your generous support. You can give towards these endeavors by going to rightresponseministries.com forward slash donate. Again, that's rightresponseministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you so much for all your help. God bless. Thanks so much for listening, but real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.